Welcome to Carefully Taught, teaching musical theater with Maddie and Kiko. A podcast to discuss musical theater pedagogy and to create a community of sharing amongst musical theater educators. Feel free to email us at carefullytaughtpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Carefully Taught Podcast. Today we are going to interview Rick Ettinger an associate teaching professor of music theater at Carnegie Mellon University. Rick is a leading voice in anti-racist musical theater pedagogy, and we are thrilled to welcome him to Carefully Taught. Rick Ettinger. I just absolutely love him. He's just an inspiration and and just so... um, uh, just really leading the charge, and and wherever he is going, I want to follow. Like, I just (laughs) truly, truly absolutely adore him and i'm i'm so glad we were able to interview him today yeah i mean he's so busy and i'm so i'm so grateful that he was able to carve time out of his schedule to talk with us i'm i'm excited to share this interview with our listeners because rick should be teaching the teachers you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> so I love, um, you know, during this interview you and i both on this zoom have our mute buttons on, right? Because we just want to hear every word. And it's that thing where I'm like, I just don't even want to suggest an unmute because I want to hear every single word. Like, I'm like, is this going to, should I? That, that's all I'm saying. So yeah. for this episode, if you're listening to it, um, just find yourself a nice quiet spot, get yourself a little notepad yeah. and pen and get ready to take notes because um, there's just a lot of inspiring things happening um, in Rick's world. Yeah. And when you listen to it for the second time uh, and you learn even more. <laughs> yeah. So enjoy Rick Edinger. Rick, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I hate a little bit that it takes a podcast for you, Kiko, and I to like find time to just catch up. But it's so good to see you. I I watch you from afar via Instagram, and I'm like just in awe of everything that you have been doing at Carnegie and with your professional stuff. I mean, it's it's amazing. Thank you, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's thanks for doing this. Um, so we have like prepared questions that we ask all of our guests, but they're really just a framework. We're going to have all kinds of follow-up questions for you. You know, we've got like a list of questions that that are just our standard. But before we get into the questions, though, I have to address the elephant in the room. Kikau and I met yesterday to sort of plan this out. And the answer to your question, Kikau, is yes, I am wearing the same t-shirt that I wore yesterday. Uh, Can you describe it for our, our listeners? Yeah, this is a frozen uh, shirt with silhouettes of some of our, uh, you know, favorite frozen friends. Yeah, yeah. and so the story Fun. is my, my birthday was last week, and this was my birthday gift from my three-year-old uh, who got a matching one. I mean, so she bought us matching shirts, and even though we wore it yesterday, she was she was insistent that we we wear it again today. So Perfect. I'm I'm wearing it because three year olds <laughs> that know what they want, you don't argue. You just you just wear right. the, the dirty t shirt. So anyway, well I, I will start actually because yeah. I have yeah. I have the first one. So Rick, why musical theater? 
what draws you to this? I love that. Um, so, I mean, strangely, like, I feel like my way into musical theater, honestly, is through music. Um, like, as a kid, I, I was sort of completely immersed in music. Um, I started playing piano at age five, cello at age eight. Um, I was in a touring children's chorus for six years, seven years when I was a kid. Um, and it was through all of that, that, that like, obviously my love for music and like my musical foundation was really laid. Um, and then in like first grade, it was like, oh, there's also this other world where there's music, but then we get to play pretend with the music on top of it. Um, and that was really what, like, it was like sensory overload. Um, you know, like that experience. Plus I think, you know, I remember seeing a national tour. I don't know what tour it was. The national tour of Jesus Christ Superstar came through Syracuse when I was growing up there. And I saw the commercial on TV and I was like, mom, dad, please take me to this. <laughs> um, and, and I saw it and I feel like that was like, that was just the thing. It was like, there's not much I think else that sort of hits me and affects me in the same way as musical theater. Um, I think, you know, watching those stories, find, finding a stranger on stage and finding a little bit of yourself in them. Um, and then on top of that, like that added element of just like the universality of music based on, you know, our own cultural and contextual experiences um, that just sort of, sends it into overload for me. So that's, that's my reason for coming into to musical theater. So wait, how old were you when you saw this national tour of Jesus Christ Superstar? Uh, I was about 11, maybe. Oh, oh yeah. I think yeah. It was like the fall of fall of like fifth grade. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting you to say like six. I was like six for Superstar. That's, that's a yeah, lot. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean like 11 for Superstar, like that, you know, yeah, that works. a casual lashing and a crucifixion. <laughs> That, am I not supposed to say that? I don't no, know. you can say it. <laughs> yeah, we're in a safe space. Um, so, uh, you know, with with musical theater, there are so many things that you can do. You can perform. You can music direct. You can be an audience member. You can be a producer. Why? Why teach? And you do all of those things, by the way. Right. right. Um, why <laughs> teach? Why? What draws you to teaching? What draws me to teaching? I think. You know, it's funny because I had this mentality as a young person and a young artist of like, I will never teach. I am an artist. Um, and what was funny to me was that as my career sort of shifted from actually acting and being on stage and singing and performing and into more vocal, vocal coaching and music direction, um, which I like, I had kept up those skills like all along. However, like actually deciding to sort of like pursue that and like make my own business out of that. Um, it was through that that I realized vocal coaching and music directing are teaching. Like those are the fundamental skill sets behind, behind those two very important facets of theater making. Um, and it was that that like sort of like let me like, oh, like there's, there's a, I think I was always afraid to say, yes, I teach or like, yes, I'm a, I'm a musical theater educator because I felt like that removed me from the industry or that removed me from the pro 
from the process of art making. And when I finally realized that like, that is such an incredibly pivotal part of the process, um, that's when I was like, yes, this is, this is also what I do. Um, but I think it's interesting because like for, for all of us, like, I mean, I, every single one of us here, the three of us here are all, you know, multi-hyphenate artists. And I think I, I, I have rarely ever met an artist who just does one thing, um, particularly in our field. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I embrace that as part of my identity now. Yeah. Um, I think this, I think our responsibility as educators has, has shifted over the years, certainly has shifted and changed for me. Um, with each year that, that I've, I've taught. Um, so the question is, what is your goal or your responsibility as an educator? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's multiple goals depending on what it is that I'm teaching, I think. But, um, I mean, ultimately I want to make sure that my students have the foundational skill sets to be successful in pursuing whatever it is that they end up pursuing in, in, in musical theater, right? Like not all of our kids will go on and be, you know, the, the next Tony award winning star, the next Oscar winner. Right. Um, but for them to actually have a foundation or have some exposure to um, at the very least an introductory skill set in whatever it is that we're doing. I mean, for me, I, you know, I teach music skills. I teach uh, sort of acting through song within vocal coaching, um, some vo voice technique within there too, in my singing for actors classes, um, musical theater auditions. It's like, there's, there's obviously the technical aspect of that. Yes. Um, which obviously we, and, and particularly here at Carnegie, you know, we have a really high level of, of student. It's a, we are very fortunate to be able to be an incredibly selective program. Um, so the kind of work and the level of work that we get to do here is really, really high. And, and uh, uh, like, it's like working with mini professionals every day, um, which is super exciting and fun. I think it's important to also acknowledge our humanity in all of this work. Um, you know, the fact that uh, all of us come into this work with different experiences and identities um, and allowing space for that to exist within the work that we do um, and allowing our, our needs and our boundaries to change from day to day and acknowledging that and uplifting that and giving space for that, I think is super important um, in, in how I work um, on a day-to-day -day basis in this building. Um, and within my own professional career, um, I, like, I, I often refer to, to my colleagues and students as family, but I also acknowledge that, like, you know, we have specific roles within each other's lives as teacher, teacher, student, mentor, mentee, things of that nature, um, that I think also have to be clearly defined. Um, I think there's, especially recently in education, there there seems like a real need for teachers to, yes, be nurturers, but also sort of provide this sort of like parental level of, of support, um, which I think is fine, but at the same time, there have to be boundaries there. Um, you know, I am not trained as a therapist. I'm not trained as a life coach. Um, 
I can't I, I, I can't go into that territory, but I can certainly provide resources for my students and resources for our our you know our our uh, educational family here um, to direct you toward the people who can help you in that way. Um, I think it's important for all of us as educators to to really honor and respect those boundaries too. Um, you know, how do you set those boundaries? What are some some things that you do to 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 clarify? I'm not a therapist, or I'm not your actual father. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like I want like I want to make sure that like my studio is always a space where people feel comfortable, right? Comfortable being honest, com- comfortable being vulnerable in their work. Um, when I notice that you know a student is feeling fragile or feeling feeling. Uh, you know, overwhelmed by their work or overwhelmed by their workload. You know, I mean, CMU has fantastic psychiatric services center, um, you know, with triage specialists that are on, on the ready, like all the time. Um, and, you know, the drama school has a very strong connection to them. Um, I make sure, like if a student is in here and having, you know, a, a, a day, as we often do, you know, I'll call my own therapist to, to for my own issues. Um, but I have absolutely 100% said, Hey, do you want to go over to the CAPS office? I will walk over there with you. You want to grab a cup of coffee on the way? Like, let's go do this because they can be super helpful. Right. Um, um, you know, I tell them about my own experiences of like times when I've needed to seek, seek help or, or counseling or things of that nature. Um, and make sure that they're under aware of the benefits of that and, how how to find those resources. Um, you know, I think it, it's it's about modeling as opposed to trying to take on that role. That's fantastic. I, I, I have another follow-up question uh, because you were talking about the level of students that you have at Carnegie. I mean, and, you know, it, no one is going to argue that that's one of the top university programs in, in the country. Uh, but you haven't always taught there. And I'm curious how... Um, you have changed as an educator as you have, I mean, how do you, do you teach differently now at Carnegie than you did at your previous institutions? Um, I would, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely do. I think there's, there's definitely opportunity for more detail in the work, for more nuance in the work. So like the, the, the progress that I see in the kind of student that we teach here is sort of incremental. Right. Like it like I watch it and it's really cumulative, too, because like, you know, they'll they'll have a little breakthrough here in the vocal studio. And then they may also have had, you know, the week before a breakthrough in the movement studio Um, and the week before that a a breakthrough in in the acting studio. And you see it sort of all just sort of like shifting and and sort of scaffolding on top of each other in this really sort of beautiful incremental developmental way. Right. Whereas at previous institutions, you know, maybe the, the like the students were all talented. I mean, like, you know, I, I worked at Shenandoah University and I had a wonderful experience there. I absolutely adored my students there. They were brilliantly talented. But I will say that, you know, perhaps they came in not as polished. So so like the, the leaps that you would see there were often um, really huge leaps. That's not to say that at CMU we don't take, you know, students who are who, who don't have as much experience but have you know, incredible amount of sort of like raw talent and potential um, that everyone on the faculty agrees, you know, is, is worth investing in. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully they, they agree to invest with us too, um, which often happens here. I, I, I think 
the thing that's that's kind of nice here is that um at least from my perspective, I don't know what the students would say about this, but um, like it doesn't feel like a competitive space as much. Mm, that's uh, wonderful. Yeah, you know, like students, the students are all wildly unique and different, and excel in different areas. And you know, I mean, they, I constantly remind them of like, you know, you may have a knock it out of the park day in the dance studio, and then when you get into the vocal studio, like you're like mm, maybe not there today, right? Like, that's okay. Like, it, everyone's journey is a little bit different. Um, but they acknowledge that. And, like, they also acknowledge each other's growth. And they really uplift each other. It's a really positive space to be in, um, you know, regardless of whatever is going on with them personally. Um, professionally, when they walk into this building, they're sort of able to put a lot of that aside and say, okay, here, we're here to work. Um which is a, a sort of unique experience to this space that I that I have noticed. That's um, wonderful. It's not like that everywhere. So very fortunate there. So uh, the next official question is mine, and it's one of my favorites because it's where we really get to learn people's secrets and the tricks of their trade. So what uh, what is one thing that you do as a musical theater educator that nobody else does? Something totally unique to you. Oh my God. I don't know. I don't know that I do anything that's like you, something that I do that's unique to me. Ooh. I feel like I have like all of the techniques and all of the things that I have learned in workshops and watching others teach and being taught myself. I feel like there's all, there's always a foundation. There's like, you know, like there, there is this weird like lineage of like, oh, I learned it from this teacher who learned it from this person who learned it from this person. Um, and I feel like everything that I have in my toolbox is something that I borrowed or learned from someone else. Um, maybe, maybe a pivot to that. What's, what is something that you love to teach? Or like, is there, is there a specific? You know, I mean, I, I absolutely love music directing. Um, like when we get into, you know, I, I, we have a, usually a junior performance project, which is a studio musical, like a 90 minute studio musical, um, which can either be a collection of scenes or, you know, uh, uh, an abridged version of something. If we are able to get the approval from a rights holder, um, or, or, you know, a short, a short musical. And then we also do a, a big main stage musical in the spring with the senior class, um, it's those, it's, it's all of that work that is sort of like the synthesis of acting, movement, dance, singing, music, musicianship, um, that, that sort of like where it all culminates together. That is like my most favorite thing, um, to watch that come to life and watch students sort of piece those things together. Um, my favorite thing to do with that is to like really talk to them about like what sort of moment are we building here? Like let's look at this song. Let's look at the structure of this song and let uh, talk to me about your objective. Talk to me about your tactics in this. What do we need out of this moment? Um, and then how do we get the right vocal result so that it also is something that you don't have to think about? Um, so that, it, you know, um, and then playing around with prompts and exercises, um, physical prompts and exercises that might actually help them sort of stay in their body and out of their heads, um, as we are pursuing that objective. 
That's like my f- absolute favorite thing. And then also obviously like sort of like using voices as orchestral textures. I love when we do an ensemble piece um, and there's a lot of ensemble singing and, you know, they're singing, sustaining an ah or an ooh. And I'm like, what does that mean? Why are you saying on ah ooh in this moment? What is this energy? Whose energy are you? What is this? Um, it's analyzing all of that and playing with that. And and like our kids are wildly intelligent and, and intuitive um, and do such incredible text work that it's so fun to hear the wildly creative answers that are coming out of these young artists. That was all it's very technical stuff. One of the things, so I've had the the privilege as a director to direct a handful of your your students. And one of the things that struck me about all of them, truly, and I'm not speaking just generally here, like truly all of them, is they weren't just talented, but they were really good people that were progressive, forward-thinking, anti-racist, um, and yeah. respectful about yeah. setting their own personal creative boundaries. And I, I loved working with them because I felt like I was learning as much from them as a director as, as they were learning from me as, a, as, as an actor. So, like, um, how, what do you, what's, how do you do that? Let me chime one more thing in. Sorry, Rick. But yeah, when, I, when I ask them about the program, all of them attribute you as a large part of affecting their humanity. I mean, they, they all sing your praises and say, Rick has really um, touched my heart in a way that is, has affected my, who I am as a human. So that's like magic. What do you, what's, what's the magic trick? I don't know that there's any magic trick necessarily. <laughs> a lot is like, I mean, what I was talking about earlier of, of like honoring people's humanity, right? Like giving them space. Um, you know, we can get very technical, sure, right? Like we can we can do full on text analysis, and we can we can you know Stanislavski the 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 heck out of something. But um, when it comes down to it, if that doesn't have like soul and heart and vulnerability and honesty in that um, empathy, right? I mean, I think honestly, like that's, that's one of the, one of one ingredient in the secret sauce here of like um, nurturing that empathy. Um, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a real, that's a, a really, I, I feel really, um, flattered and tumbled by, by hearing that, um, comment. That's very sweet. Thank you for sharing. Um, it's, I wish it, I wish I could say it's any one thing, honestly, like I don't see a lot of tearing or breaking people down in this building. Um, it's a lot of like, you come in as you are and let's build from there. Um, as opposed to, I, you know, I have seen things in, in other spaces that didn't feel like that, that felt like, you know, you do this wrong and now we need to fix that. And like, I get that in some, some aspects of some technical work, but, um, you know, our kids are really actors first. And so like the worst thing that you, I think you can do for an actor is tear their confidence down. Um, and so we really try to avoid doing that. Obviously, we have high levels of expectation and achievement, um, and our students uphold those for themselves, um, not necessarily because we do it for them. Um, yeah. 
I think I think it's I think it's about allow allowing them space to to be human, to to falter, mm-hmm. to make a mistake, to to learn and grow from those mistakes. Like that's that to me is like the best time to learn. Like when I don't when I'm not good at something, when I feel yeah, like I'm yeah. failing at something. That's I mean for my own for my own experience like it's when I felt the most discomfort that I felt like I grew the most. I will say that also like CMU is working, the School of Drama in particular is sort of leading the charge here across our college, across the College of Fine Arts. We have five schools of design, architecture, art, um, uh, music, and drama. Uh, and our school has really sort of led the charge in our anti-racist work. Um, last year, we started an anti-racist theater course um, with the consultation and content of uh, uh, and guidance of Nicole Brewer and her brilliant anti-racist theater workshops and uh, uh, pedagogy. Um, and so our entire community, our faculty, staff, and students all took that course last semester or la- in the fall semester of 2020 um, while we were still in mid-pandemic and while also still very much advocating uh, for Black Lives Matter and all of the other oppressionist, uh, 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 oppressive uh, aspects of our culture. Um, so yeah, so like those, those foundational core principles now especially are very much embedded in the work that we're doing here of harm reduction, harm, uh, harm prevention and relationship repair. Um, you know, and we're all learning every single day. Um, yeah. And fortunately, I think many in our community now have the tools to communicate our needs in that way and also are feeling more and more comfortable expressing our needs on a daily basis and making sure that they are heard and met. It's it's really exciting to me that your faculty had the buy-in to take the class with the students. I mean, that's what an incredible experience that must have been. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think we've learned a lot also, you know, we, we have some data and research that'll come out from that also that we've been collaborating with our Everly Center for um, teaching, um, excellence in teaching. Um, so uh, like we did full surveys throughout the course to sort of basically keep an eye on how much the needle moved um, in terms of our community's comfortability in having conversations around sensitive topics or, or, um, you know, cultural consciousness. Um, and what was interesting is that, you know, that actually, it, it actually did move the needle. It did, it did increase people's comfortability, not necessarily by like, you know, it's not like it leaped from zero to 10, um, but there was, you know, it showed like a steady increase in people's ability to at least have the conversations. Um, I think, you know, sort of the next goal and the next phase in all of our training and what we're what we plan on doing now for the next semester, we now actually have a, a full time uh, a visiting faculty member who I can't announce yet, but um, we have a full time visiting faculty member who is coming in in the fall and she's wildly brilliant um, and she will actually be teaching all four sections of our anti-racist and equitable equitable practices in theater course, which will be offered to all incoming uh, first-year undergraduates and first-year graduate students, as well as any incoming staff or faculty who opt to take it. Um, that so is only, incredible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Like, so not only is she doing that, but also we are then offering, um, she's then offering 
uh, three faculty and staff workshops to both familiarize ourselves with what the students are now learning in, in her course, um, as well as how we can then take that and make sure that we're creating spaces um, and communicating with each other as faculty and staff, because, you know, that's another part of our community, right? Um, how we communicate with each other and and are uh, a little bit more aware of how we how we speak with each other, how we treat each other, um, and how we uplift and embrace all identities and experiences. I mean, people talk about, you know, um, actions, like what can we do? What should we do? And this is a great example of just literally changing the system from inside, like, and, yeah. and getting on the same page and opening up these lines of communication. That is so inspiring. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like it was a lot of work last summer. I mean, we, the, like this does not happen overnight and also doesn't happen without resources. And like, that's right. something that I really want to say, especially because, you know, I know the uh, your vast majority of your listeners are going to be educators going, how did you do that? Right. It cost a boatload of money, right? A boatload of money. And we are at a very privileged, predominantly white institution, right? Who the, this institution thankfully had the resources to provide us and also actually provide it, right? right like right. we said, we needed this. There was a budget line that was created for it. Um, and and so we were able to proceed forward. I will say that there were seven of us, seven faculty and staff members who worked together, I would say probably 25 to 30 hours a week through our summer last year for about seven weeks to set up this course for you know just shy of 400 people. Wow. Um, it was a lot. It was it was a lot, but worth worth it. It did not correct everything. It did not fix our community. But I think what it did was say this matters to us, and we're gonna we're gonna try this. We're also going to monitor it and see how effective it is, and we're going to learn from it, and we're gonna keep changing it so that it gets better and better every single time. You know, I don't think. I think there's there's a difference between wanting to be right and wanting to seek change. And those two things do not always, you know, they, they do not always go hand in hand. Um, you know, this is the right thing to do. Certainly, we are 100% seeking change and we are continually committed to working forward on that. So, you know, one of our goals in our anti-racist action plan from last year was to not only make this a curricular requirement, which it now is for every single student that walks through our doors, um, but also to provide continued education in, in anti-racist and equitable practice, uh, uh, practices in theater. That's great. So like our, our next official question, I, I you know, um, we've talked about how your students and and have joined the industry and and I know how often you bring the industry to your students and how you yourself really represent you know standing right there in the middle having your your toes in, on both sides so the question is what is our responsibility as MT educators to change or affect the professional industry as we know it um it, to teach students how to work in the industry to change the industry what 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 are your thoughts on that I love that question. So like, you know, the thing that I think is really interesting. So, you know, I was talking about our anti-racist theater course. Um, I think the thing that that we're all interested in exploring now, especially now that we'll all be back in the building together, right, is sort of how do we change our rehearsal rooms and how do we change our rehearsal processes to be more equitable, to be acknowledging of people's individual experiences and identities, Um 
And I think that's what we're doing in this building right now. It's like you change this generation and their expectations of, I need an intimacy coordinator on this, on a production. I need someone to, I need a dramaturg on this production to be able to discuss the, the racial context, the cultural context of the racism in this piece so that I feel safe and, 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 uh, uh, I, I feel safe and also like, you know, the the potential for any harm or trauma as I explore this, whatever my identity, identity may be, um, is, is going to be honored and uplifted in this, right? Like, I think normalizing that for this generation then creates a level of expectation so that when they then go out, even if they're just one, you know, one of our kids in each of those rooms, for them to be able to say, okay, A, I have power and agency in this space, even, you know, it, whether I'm an actor, a designer, director, whoever I may be in that room, I may not be the most, you know, quote unquote, powerful person in the room, but I have power and agency in every space that I go into, and I can advocate for what my needs are, and my needs are this. This is what we did in school, right? And this is the way it's done right. When we are exploring material that is challenging, when we're exploring material that is sensitive, when we're exploring material that forces me to use my identity within this work, right? And I think in order to, to sort of change the industry, we need to train our students to be able to do that and to be able to advocate for what their needs are. Because I think, you know, we grew up in a generation where it was like you you express your needs and it was like, well, we could find someone else if if you don't like this, how we're doing it, right? And I don't think we're, we're walking in, I'm hoping that as things are opening up, we're not walking into that same world anymore. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's that's an amazing answer. Thank you. So yeah. that's that's our last um, official question in terms of the interview. Uh, goes, but we always end our podcast with either Kikau or I or our guest um, recommending a resource to our listeners to enhance their musical theater teaching uh, experience. So sometimes it's a book, sometimes it's a podcast. Um, what is your recommended resource to uh, to our listeners uh, that that will will enhance them as musical theater educators? So I mean. This is this is a, a resource that is like currently developing and I'm actually working on it with a, a group of 19 faculty members across the nation and internationally as well. Um, and it's uh, an organization that we just started. We just did all of our incorporation filing. It's called Music Theater and Dance Professionals in the Academy. Um, it's mtdpa.org. Um, so... Uh, our mission essentially strives to support arts education professionals of the global majority to transform pedagogy, develop artistic scholarship, and cultivate leadership acumen in academic institutions. Um, you know, we seek to provide social and professional support, as well as mentorship in the areas of teaching, research, scholarship, service, and leadership. Um, and ultimately, as this next year goes by, our goals are to provide resources for the deconstruction of racist, patriarchal, and colonialist foundations, histories, and practices in theater um, and performing arts pedagogy by offering global perspectives to the training of students in arts and performance. Um, and so, you know, some of our founding members include 
um, Julio Agustin uh, from uh, Elon, uh, Michael McElroy, who will be at University of Michigan, Krisha Marcano from UNCSA, my colleague Tomei Cousin from CMU, um, Karen Olivo uh, has been one of our founding members as well, and she's been teaching at CCM over the last year. Um, as well as, like, I could go through this entire list, but you can see our entire group of founding members at mtdpa.org. I think it's really important, especially for um, uh, artists of the global majority who are interested in seeking careers in education to have some sort of connection to other artists of the global majority who are also in education because it's a very different world than, um, than you know, seeking our careers in our in in the industry which also has its own set of challenges um but what we're really seeking to do is provide support so that our students can see more diverse representation in our faculties um and in our institutions so that they see that there's a place for us everywhere in this industry and also when they are working through that sensitive material perhaps there's someone in the room who has had a similar lived experience and isn't just talking from you know empathy, um, but is is saying, you know, I, I've been there too. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's the resource that I would plug. Um, anyone who's interested in, in supporting us or, or joining us, um, please feel free to reach out. That's phenomenal. Nick, you are amazing. Yeah, you are that's so amazing. We'll put the information in the the description on uh, 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 the link in the bio of, of the episode. I don't even know what it's called. We're so new at this, Kiko. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's so, right. Rick, thank you so much. Um, you know, we absolutely. will uh, uh, absolutely just continue loving you and following you and, and keeping Thanks. an eye on what you have going on. Um, yeah. Congratulations on Songs for New World. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, it was like super exciting. That cast was incredible. <laughs> you know, I love it. It's just exciting that we're getting back to it. Right. I mean, in these yeah. outdoor and even these theaters um, requiring the vaccinations, I'm just like, Oh, I am here for this. So, yeah. so great. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, boys. Music for Carefully Taught was provided by Joshua Haig. For more information, visit joshuahaigmusic.com.